Hi, this is A Smaller Life, a podcast hosted by me, Saskia de Feiter. I am a small business owner who wants to grow by going smaller and choose better to do better. Join me on my journey where I figure out how I can make my needlecraft business relevant in this era and in my personal life. Well, hello, hello, and welcome back to A Smaller Life. Or perhaps you are new, this is the first time you drop in. Feel welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you are a long-term listener of the podcast, we now have a new way to support. I've been talking a lot about the community, the online community that I host, and when you become a member of that community, you automatically support the podcast But if you're not ready to do that, if it's not your thing, that's completely okay. Our Patreon is now on a pay-what-you-want-or-pay-what-you-can basis. There are different ways to pay for the production of a podcast show. And I think the best way is if it's supported by the people that listen to it. I would love to have small businesses that are in the same field, the same topics that I'm talking about, sustainable, value-based businesses. I would love them to advertise on the show. So maybe that's something for the future. If you're interested, give me a call. But I think the best way to do this is if it's paid by you, because then I really know that I'm doing this for you. So it all makes kind of sense, doesn't it? It's like the most transparent way of doing things, which I love. So there's that. On other news, I am trying to open up a tool library for the area where I live. I live in a block, basically, of four streets that make a square. And I've been trying to start the community focused things with the with the people that live here and it hasn't been easy I have to tell you some people are not as community minded as I am myself but there's quite a few people that do share my my love for doing things together and doing things more sustainably so we've done in the past we've done a kids clothing swap and the next thing on my list is to build a tool library which is basically nothing more than a spreadsheet that shows what kind of tool or item somebody has and that they want to lend out share with somebody else or with the group and then you just leave your name and when you pick it up Because this is such a small group of, it's 50 families and not all of them are participating. I feel that we don't need like a gazillion rules. Just talking when you break something, you just talk it over with each other or you basically just get a new thing. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do some talking about that specific thing. I can be really naive in these things, but then I do get, I do make things happen. So I'm just going in head first and see what happened. So that's been going on. And I actually haven't been at my desk for about a week because I have lower back pain. I don't know what the word is in English, but in Holland we call it spitz. And I happen to know the German word, hexenschuss. It's been so painful, but I'm getting better now. I'm getting better. Today's been my first day back behind the mic and I'm loving it. 
So without further ado, I want to introduce our guest. Her name is Hannelisa Haverkamp. Um, she's based in Berlin. And we go back a few years. We've worked together. She's made fantastic, like awesome project bags. Every detail was thought through. Every single bit was on her website. She had this whole list where you can figure out what the fabric was, where it came from, who made it. It was so transparent. And this is kind of one of Hanalisa's core values with everything she does in her multiple businesses. And um, she has pivoted quite a bit as well, as the same as I have. And uh, we talk a lot about this. She has so much to offer, so much to share. She has been a business coach. And she's also talking about the fact that she also has her own coach, which is very interesting and very important. I think we as small business owners do not think of being coached as an option because it's really expensive and we don't think that it might be worth it. So we talk about this and it's uh, very interesting. So without further ado, here's Hannah Lisa. Welcome, Hannah Lisa. I'm so happy that you're here. We're giggling a little bit because I forgot to press record, so we have to start over. I'm so happy that you're here, and there's actually so much to explore with you. You you have done so many things that I want to talk to you about. You are such a I don't even know the word. Is it prolific? You're like a multi potentialist. You can do anything. So perhaps we can make this a series. Oh, you're making me blush. Thank you so much for having me, first of all, Saskia. I was so, so happy when you reached out to me about doing the interview. Very much open to making this a series. So everyone who's listening, if you want this to be a series, just let Saskia know. <laughs> we have this little button on the on the show notes on the website where you can click the button and leave a voice message. So if you want to hear more from Hannah after this interview, just let us know and we'll plan another interview. <laughs> but first, let's start off with the beginning. Where did your career path in the knitting space or in the textile space start and how did it kind of roll and where you are right now? Yeah. So um, picture the end of the year 2015. I had just uh, left my last employed job. I have a business degree and I used to be the COO, the chief operating officer of a small Berlin company. And I left that job with no plan, except for giving myself one year to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and what would make me happy. And that was the prerequisite for the entire year. I didn't have to do anything except for whatever made me happy. And wow. that was an extremely lucky and privileged position to be in. I'm not entirely sure if anyone who's listening is familiar with the concept of fuck you money. It's essentially you're saving up money when you're working so that you can leave your job or do something else at a, any point in time, basically. And I had done that and sort of bought myself, quote unquote, a year of freedom, which wow. was amazing. Yeah. Does that feel like a lot of pressure though? Figure it out now. Like I have three months left after all this partying and now I have to... <laughs> 
If you want to build or grow your business in textile crafts, why don't you join our online community for the small monthly contribution of only 10 euros, which is basically $10-ish. You get to hang out, learn from, and share your business and your personal craft journey with all the lovely people there. Support the podcast at the same time and you get everything wrapped into one loving package. I would love to welcome you there. Go to patternshift.fm and click community. And while you're there, sign up for our emails so you'll never miss a thing. No, I honestly, it's a very good question that I don't think I ever asked myself. I was just like, I was done. I was done with the business world. I, um, so to, to backtrack a couple of years, like not that I want to go into my entire professional life too deeply, (laughs) but I used to be a business consultant and, and then I became the CEO of that company. And like, at some point I was just extremely fed up with businesses that were just inhumane with businesses Mm. that just cared about making money and didn't care about their employees and didn't care about the world and didn't care about the planet. And so I was like, like, no, like, I don't know where my path lies. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just know that this is not going to be it. And so when I started in that year, I knew that I had enough in my bank account to last me the year. I was also in a stable partnership same one I'm in now. So (laughs) it just didn't feel like such a risk also, because I knew that with a skill set that I had, I could always land freelance projects in those companies that I didn't want to work for anymore. Right. (laughs) So not ideal, but yeah. So in that year that I gave myself, I knit a lot. I had started knitting a couple of years earlier and like, I think it does for a lot of us, no matter whether you own a business in the fiber world or you simply enjoy it as a hobby, it helped me through some tough times. In that year, that the year of freedom, (laughs) I just knit. I made a promise to myself, not really a promise. Today, we would call it a challenge. I said at the beginning of the year, I am going to post one picture a day on Instagram for I don't even remember three months or so. And that is honestly where everything started. Like all of this that I'm doing now, because most of what I was putting on Instagram was flat lay pictures on my (laughs) 999 white Ikea coffee tables of the things (laughs) that I was knitting. That was Instagram back then for you in 2016. For some people, it still is. It is. And that is perfectly fine. Like, so including a cup of coffee, like a latte on the side. We weren't there yet. We weren't there yet. (laughs) The maximum was an overhead shot with some flowers in it. Oh, flowers. Yes. So I remember it well. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the beginning of the year. And then over the course of the year, honestly, really just through that persistence of posting something on Instagram every day. I just made a lot of friends in the knitting community online. It just, I don't know, was like, okay, I found this account through that account and that account through that account. And all of a sudden, all of these online friendships were blooming. And then they were transferring to real life because then I got to know um, my friend Ruta, who runs one of the wonderful yarn shops here in Berlin. And through her and the 
midnight that she offered. I got to know other people. So it was just like this online world open up into the physical world. And all along, I had taken up a couple of freelance projects just because I was not very good at saying no to people. Oh, and yeah. people were like, oh, you are not employed anymore. Can we hire you for X, Y, Z? I'm like, okay. So I did uh, freelance projects with those companies, as I said, that I didn't want to work for anymore. And then at some point I just got really upset and I was like, I don't, I am miserable. Like this is supposed to be my year of freedom. And I am sitting here in someone else's office doing work that I actually don't enjoy doing. And I really just don't want to do it. So Mm. why, why am I doing it? And then I said, all right, I'm just going to stop. So stop the freelance projects. And I thought, what would be something that would make me really happy like how can I use that skill set that I have to help people and the first idea that I arrived was becoming a coach for small creative businesses taking all of the knowledge that I had and helping people who were building their smaller creative businesses especially in the fiber world to do what they did just a little bit more organized and structured because that's a like that's what I'm really good at. Um, and so I started just exploring that. I think first with free like consultation calls and then out of that grew a small business coach practice essentially. Very, mm. very niche, very targeted towards people in the people in the fiber world. At the same time, I also wanted to do something with my hands. So I started sewing project bags. I had no idea about sewing. I had never sewn in a zipper in my life. So there was a lot of trial and error, but it was very good and very therapeutic because I didn't have to use my brain. I was just sitting at the sewing machine. And so that very slowly over the course of 2016, 2017, 2018 became a second sort of business that, that I did just beautiful handmade project bags that I sold online. And then at the end of 2016, I was approached by a yarn dyer who wanted to make a book about European yarns and whether I wanted to work on the book with her. And so I said, yes. And I said, I think we should be three. I think we need someone who also has knitwear design uh, expertise. And so the three of us, Anna, Verena, and I set out to create a book that would then later on become the very first book that we as Making Stories ever published called Woods. Over the course of sort of the first half of 2017, Anna dropped out of the project because of health reasons. So it was Verena and I, and we started working on Woods. We ran a, a really successful crowdfunding campaign to finance the first book. And we realized that people were excited about what we were doing. We were focusing on sustainably produced yarns at that time made in Europe. We wanted to tell the stories of the people who made the yarns, of the designers who made the patterns, hence the name Making Stories. And people really liked it. And that was amazing. And so we also really like working on that. At first, we said we want to set everything up so that it's fine if it's just a project. But then we quickly realized that 
we really do like this. And so from Woods Grew Breeze, our second project or our second book that was at the beginning of 2018. And then over the course of 2018, uh, we published a lot of digital collections and another book and grew the team really fast. And then I, I was always the one in the business partnership who was responsible for the numbers. It was bigger than the coaching business and then the project backs that I did, but it wasn't big by any means. But neither of us, nor Verena nor I, had experience with that. And so in the middle of 2018, I suddenly looked at our bank account and I was like, shit, <laughs> we have a burn rate of two and a half months left. Burn rate, for anyone who's not familiar with that, is how much money you're spending in a month on, well, your household or your business mm -hmm. or something. So essentially, we had money in the bank for just over two months and no income projected until later that year. It was like, oh, <laughs> not good. Mm -hmm. Great business. Mm. <laughs> we love doing it. <laughs> yeah, we love doing it. It's just not making money. Oh, so in 2018, that was a really hard year because we had built up our team to, I think at that point, six or seven people. We let almost all of them go. We had to, there was no other choice. And we had to have very honest conversations between Verena and I about what we wanted from making stories. Did we want this business? Did we really want to want to sort of work on this? Or was that something that we just didn't want anymore? And it gradually over the course of that year, but then also the next year, and I'm going to talk about a second and like about the other reason, but it gradually became clear that the answers to that question were, were just very different hmm. for her and I. Like I realized I want making stories to be my life's work. I yeah. love this. Like I, I love it and I want to do this. And for Verena, it wasn't. There were hard conversations, like not hard in the sense of harsh, but it's just hard. Yeah, it you're is. growing a business together. And at some mm -hmm. point you realize your paths are diverging. So over the course of 2018 and 2019, we decided to slowly sort of dissolve the business partnership, which at the end resulted in me buying her out. And so since 2019, I've been the CEO and, and sole owner of, of Making Stories. Um, one of the last projects that we worked on together was a pivot, and I'm laughing a little bit because how much have we all pivoted oh in the last gosh. two years, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the last projects that we worked on together that we started in 2018 and that came to fruition in 2019 was Making Stories magazine. We wanted a format that felt more flexible and more I'm trying to find the right word more grown-up isn't really the right word mm -hmm. but that felt a little bit more mature, mature and yeah. reflected as a little bit better than what we put out before there's mm -hmm. like you learn so much when you run a business right Ugh, and the first yeah. iteration of everything is just never really any good so on my shelf like there's a copy of our first book sitting next to one of our first magazines and it's a world of difference. Mm -hmm. um, and that's good. Like it's that's just progress. So we decided we're gonna 
not do books anymore, but we're going to introduce a biannual magazine, two issues per year, about 12 patterns, very modern, very wearable. That was and still is really, really important to all of the designs in the magazine. With the space and breathing time for knitters in between the issues to actually knit the patterns. And I love that. You should see my face. I'm like, oh, how did how did people not think about this before? This is genius. I mean, I feel extremely overwhelmed at the amount of beautiful patterns that are being put out. Overwhelmed as a knitter, but also overwhelmed. Oh, because if anyone who's listening to this has asked themselves, yes, I knit every day. It just keeps me saying I love it. So I feel overwhelmed as a knitter, but I also feel overwhelmed and a little bit sad as a business owner, because through the sheer amount of patterns that get put out, there's not enough breathing room for every single one of them, you know? And so that was a very intentional choice that we said, there's only ever going to be two issues of the magazine every year and like not more. And so six months in between, you can knit like two to three patterns from a magazine. You Mm -hmm. can, we have customers who have knit half a magazine over the course of like three or four months, which is absolutely magnificent. But even if you don't feel the need to do that, which I completely (laughs) understand, there's enough space for you to look through the patterns, think about what would fit in your wardrobe, what you would actually wear, and then make it. And then there's the next one. And so you don't have this pressure of like, oh my God, now I bought this magazine and now I need to knit something. And oh my God, there's the next one. And now I bought that and now I need to knit something. It's almost unhealthy because it does something to your dopamine levels every time. Yeah, you peak and then you drop and then you peak and then you drop and you kind of need your fix at a certain point and you also feel guilty. So you have this whole, I mean, I'm I'm looking at my collection of knitting books and knitting magazines, and I don't even want to calculate the percentage of what I knit from it because, yeah, it just needs a shift in your mind, I think. And, And in our community, we talk a lot about what you already have that you can use. It's just like a shift in thinking. And at the same time, it always is such a fight with wanting to support those amazing businesses that bring amazing patterns and yarns and everything. And at the same time, just really not wanting to overconsume. And there we go back to what you've been saying about the amount of patterns and not leaving enough breeding room and space for people kind of to grow. Cause it, I'm not saying that there should be less designers or less people that sell yarns or dye yarns, but it's really hard to run a business when there's so many small businesses and yeah, it's kind of a hard thing to talk about I feel I think so the first thing that comes to mind is and I'm not saying that this is the case for every single publication every single designer who is out there but I am pretty sure that there is a connection between the amount of things that you put out and the quality that you put out and there's another variable that factors into that equation. And that is, what is your bandwidth as a business? So mm. what are your resources? How many people do you have? Because there are just certain things that you need to do when you put out a pattern or when you put out a magazine. Like, I wish I could show the timeline of us working on a magazine. It's it's one and a half Brutal. years planned through in detail 
with deadlines and yes, buffer times, but there are just a lot of things that need to happen before a magazine can come out or a pattern for that matter, because it's really not that different. Like you need to have a design idea, you need to write up the pattern, you need to knit up the sample, you get it tech edited, you get it test knit, you get photos done, you get the layout done, you do the marketing preparations, you do the launch. Those are things that are, for the most part, expected by our market, by the knitting community. I remember when I first got back into knitting, so let's say maybe 2010, 2012, a few years after Reverie started, patterns at the versions from patterns back then, they were nowhere near the level of professionalism that patterns are right now. And I think mm. that is something that is extremely difficult for designers and publishers, anyone really who's putting work out there to navigate, because I feel like the expectation from our customers just grows and grows and grows and grows. Like maybe like 10 years ago, mm -hmm. it was okay. If you put together a pattern in Word yourself, your partner or friend or whoever snapped a few photos of you holding the thing, and then you put it on Ravelry and it was fine. <laughs> now, the same thing needs to be professionally layouted in your own branding. It needs to have professional quality photos, like 12, 15, 20 photos. It sometimes has video. It needs to have a schematic. It needs to be tech edited. It needs to be testnet, you know, like all of those things. And all size of those inclusive. things. Oh, size inclusive. Very good point. And accessible. Yes. Right. And all of those things are to be done by the same person yes. in the same time yeah. for the same money yeah. as before. Yeah. That just doesn't work. It and doesn't that's a work. big, big, big disconnect in the market. I know so many people that want to be a designer and they're taking their first steps into becoming a designer and you can still do it the old fashioned way, but you will hardly be noticed unless somebody yes. does like a search. If we talk about Ravelry, does this search with very specific things that they need and you might pop up from the search. But in the woods of all the professionals, designers that actually go through all these steps and actually have the funds or the means to do all that, you will not be noticed. And in a way, I think it's, it's great because it makes it look more like what it is. It's a profession. I yes. believe that designing a knitting pattern is a profession that you probably don't go to school to, but the school is the amount of time you put in to learn to do all of those things. And that should be valued. And I think that's where I sometimes cringe a little when people complain about this. The when when you let me do this disclaimer. Uh, when you can afford it, you still complain about the price of these things. But there's so much work that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what you touched upon is just really, really important. I mean, what Revelry gave us no matter what you think about the recent years of reverie mm -hmm. and especially yeah, accessibility politics. The past, but like it, but yeah. the past, what reverie gave us was the democratization of patterns, was the yeah. democratization of network design, where before you had to have a contract with one of the magazines, your name usually didn't even show up next to the patterns. Yeah, exactly. You know, reverie all of a sudden made the threshold to enter the knitting market as a designer extremely low. And now that threshold is just really, really, really high again, because it is exactly as you said, you 
almost need all of those things, especially the professional photography, in order for your pattern to be noticed. And yeah. at the same time, we're operating in a market where the prices haven't changed. They yeah. just haven't. Yeah. And this is just extremely difficult. I think it is just really interesting to see how the expectation for the level of professionalism basically for a pattern has gone up but at the same time the willingness to pay has not yeah and I'm intentionally saying willingness because ability is a very very different topic I think financial accessibility is extremely important but as you said if you can't afford it then you should be willing to pay a higher price than what Mm. you usually do for patterns nowadays Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I think there's a lot of feelings and views and philosophies that crash into each other in this topic where I just feel that we are all so full of respecting each other's work, but there needs to be like the next step that comes with that respect. So if we are talking about talent and ownership of of your creativity and all of that kind of thing, My view on this is that there's so much overlap of people that knit for fun and then gradually go into the professional side of things. And then they feel they don't have that background information to be an actual business owner. So they start off with just having so much fun doing it and wanting to be part of this world. And then they're like, oh, when somebody downloads my pattern, I'm just ecstatic. That's the goal. And that's probably where it starts for everybody. But at a certain point, there has to be like a switch in professionalism. Because otherwise, it's also not really fair to the people that do want to make money from their craft or their talent. That's very complicated. It is super complicated, but I think it is a really, really good point and a very important one at that, because I think this market, this industry, this community is so interconnected that the things that one person does, they do have an impact on someone else. I I completely understand the desire to enter, especially the knitwear design market, but if you are entering it from a hobby perspective, and I think that's not just only true for our market, I think that's true for a lot of other things like pottery, for example, right? Yeah, You're entering- things. I think not crit- the dentist. Yeah, probably not the dentist, <laughs> but the creative things where you find yes. something that really fills you up and you want to do it and you want to share it with people. And then all of a sudden someone says, oh, would you sell that? And then you start thinking, oh yeah, I could maybe. And then you do it for fun. At that point in time, you're probably in an employed job. You don't need to be making money off of this. So the price that you charge is lower than what someone whose full-time profession this is. And that's a problem because it just drives down the price point for everything in the entire market. Yeah. And at the end of this story, there is not going to be much left if it goes on like this. And that's definitely what happens around us with shops closing down and and things like that. It's it's a, a direct effect of this because asking for the actual price of things means that people 
or at least the shop owners think that people won't buy it and then yeah they don't buy it from the makers and then here we go there's the, the like a downward spiral and things and, and I was joking about the dentist, but I've always loved using cooking as a metaphor for knitting and for our industry. So what if you started, if you love baking cakes and you just enjoy it so much that you have so much cakes that there's no way you can eat them all yourself, not even talking about the health, um, but you will step out on the street and you will start giving away cakes on the street, it's kind of okay if it's just your street, but if you would stop and stand on the marketplace or next to a restaurant and start giving away the cakes, there's a problem. People can see how that's kind of weird, but for our industry where we are so interconnected, we're we basically most of us started as hobby knitters, right? And then some of us have like this business gene that kicks in at a certain point and others feel like it, it feels uncomfortable to them. Selling, selling as a thing is uncomfortable, even to the people with the business gene, but they know it's yes. necessary, right? Yep. Yeah. So do you believe it's actually possible to run a profitable business in our space or should we just aim low and be happy to get a living wage and that's good enough? I fucking refuse to aim low. <laughs> Same here, same. <laughs> yeah. I I love the metaphor of the market. I had not thought about this before, but this is genius. Okay, so profitable or a profit in this industry, it needs to be possible. We're going to make this possible. Mm -hmm. Like, I refuse to give up. I am a very stubborn person. <laughs> and I do think that this market is probably among the more challenging ones. I'm not yeah. going to lie. You know, there are markets where profitability is just a lot easier to achieve because, I mean, if you're talking about profit, to break it down into two very simple parts, there's always the revenue that you bring in, the money that you make, mm -hmm. and the cost of, of something, right? Of, mm -hmm. of what you're selling. And the difference is the profit that you're making. And I think there are other markets where the money-making part is a lot easier because the price point of things is just naturally higher. Yeah, like people expect to pay more because things have always cost more. And there are other markets where, you know, the cost of something is just lower or has not increased as much as in our market. And <laughs> I sometimes have conversations with my wonderful partner who's like, why why are you still doing this? Like, yeah. why are you still doing this to you? Like, there are so many other things that you could be doing. Like, Kids clothing. People mm. love spending a lot of money on their kids. People who can afford it, let's yeah, say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, so I live in Berlin. So I just need to drive with my bike for a couple of kilometers to go to some kids shops where you pay like 50 bucks for a t-shirt mm -hmm. for a three-year-old that they're going to be outgrown of in like three months. Yeah. And people just pay it, right? And so there are definitely markets that I think profitability is easier to achieve in. I do think that it is possible in ours. The additional complexity for us as a business for making stories and also probably for you, Saskia, is that our values make profitability harder. Yes. Be yeah. Because they make running this business a lot more expensive. And yeah. so if I'm thinking about this market, I think there are... I'm just basically thinking about it in two halves or two parts. 
there are companies who are maybe not mostly about the money mm-hmm. because I, I don't want to assume that, yeah. but for whom core values like sustainability, equity aren't as important. Mm-hmm. And so they are making production choices, for example, that just lower their cost. Yeah. So yarn companies who have their yarns spun in facilities in China that are using extremely harmful processes, harmful both to the environment and to the people who work there. Mm. And they're dyeing that yarn and then they're selling that yarn. And because they were producing in those facilities in China, everything's just a lot cheaper than if you are producing quite locally to where you are and things like that. And so I think for those companies, it is probably easier to achieve profitability. But then if you like if you throw the values part into the mix and it are in a market where there that's already hard, yeah. it just becomes even harder. But there, there's no other way, is there? I don't think. No. Like for me, there's no other way. And also we have such an opportunity here, right? The textile industry, as you were talking about, the 50 euro t-shirts. The textile industry is one of the worst industries when it comes to sustainability and uh, safety for people and uh, everything. And so we have this possibility in our industry to give the right example, to show that you can make things yourself or make different decisions by actually, um, we call it Vorleben, like you're, you're showing what, what would that be in German? It would be very similar. It would be Vorleben. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's like so you're, you're showing that living you by example. Do, I think li- yes, yeah. yes, or leading by example, even yeah. better. Like I think that is something I'm definitely going to write that down because leading by example mm. is I think what we as value based businesses in our industry should do because we have the power to really change things. Although sometimes it doesn't really feel like that. Do you feel like even though it's hard to work from your values? I mean, as I said, there's no other way, is there? No, no, no there isn't. Unequivocally, no. Because at the end of the day, no, not at the end, literally at the beginning of the day, I want to be getting up and I want to be able to look myself in the mirror. And I want to say, I'm making a difference. And the only way that I'm making that is by doing this in a value-based way. And what does that look like for you in making stories? What do you focus on? This is a question that I've had and it's really difficult to ask in our industry, but from one white woman to the other, um, how do you go about getting your information and um, living through all of your values? And how do you, yeah. how do you deal with that? Ooh, very good Let questions. me add this, let me add this. I'm, I'm asking you this question knowing that it's so hard to answer but I think a lot of starting businesses struggle with this. Like, I don't even know where to start. I want to be sustainable. I want to be uh, inclusive in all kinds of ways. And where do I start? There's a lot of things there. Mm. And do I just rely on my heart as a person or do I do some work and where do I start? Do you, can you say something about that? Yes, absolutely. And I think it it is a really, really, really important thing to think and talk about as business owners. And if you're thinking about or starting a business, this is, I think, probably one of the hardest parts. I would say there are probably a few different ways 
of going about this, the first and most important thing is to just start because it can be extremely overwhelming. I started working on making stories in 2016. So now it's coming up to six years now. What? (laughs) 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 So yeah, I'm going to get my camera and I'm going to take your picture. And you do that again. <laughs> Wait, what? 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 <laughs> so this is for you, um, patrons. Patrons, you're gonna see love this it. picture. You you get the behind the scenes. <laughs> I love it. So in the six years, I feel like there's just been expectations piling up for businesses, what we should all do and and focus and focus on sustainability, inclusivity, equity, justice transparency, accessibility, all of those things. And all of them are extremely important. They're really important. And they can also be so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine starting a business now and looking at all of the expectations that you might feel as a new business owner, what you all, what you need to do. And so I think the first thing is just, just start with one thing. And that can be any of those, whatever speaks to you. And I think it is important that it speaks to your heart because at the end of the day, business owner life is fucking hard. Like you look like if I were in this to make like a shitload of money or become super famous or Mm. whatever, like, no, this is not the easy way to success. Like it just isn't. Um, And, and so But what business owner life gives you is you get to decide. And so it needs to be something that you just very personally, you need to be passionate about something Mm -hmm. that you can be excited about getting up every single day in the morning. And that can be justice, that can be accessibility, that can be sustainability, that can be making people laugh, like all of those or anything else. And so I think a, a good first step is just finding something that just brings you joy um and then and then start from there and let it radiate outward and don't try to sort of put all of this onto paper because one thing that I've learned from the past six years is that things are changing things are moving and that is okay like you're evolving your business is evolving and so you cannot do like I don't I don't think like writing down 10 values on paper and then trying to implement them all Mm. is a very good use of your time. Mm. It might be a good exercise for you to just get those values out of the system and then, you know, see, okay, which one is actually speaks to me, Mm -hmm. Um, but then actually start doing the work for making stories. Just to kind of give you an example of of how this can actually look like in, in a business. So the first sort of set of values actually didn't come from the business, but it came from my personal life. So then here of freedom that I talked about at the beginning, I did a lot of deep work and inner work on what would make me happy. Yes. But also what do I want my legacy to be? Right. Like at the end of my knock on wood, hopefully a little bit long life. Yes. I want to look back and say that I've made a difference. And that I've also left this place, this earth in a better way that I've, I've touched some people. Mm-hmm. That sounds yeah. cheesy, but that no, is. No, it doesn't. I think we should say this a lot more than we do. It should become like breathing to us to mm-hmm. look at life in that way. So no, not cheesy at all. Thank you. 
so I I set a set of values for my own life and then the business grew from that but a business is not a personal life right that's a good one as well oh see this should be a series (laughs) I told you go on go on yeah so those making stories values that we now have they sound like buzzwords and in a sense they are so it's sustainability it's equity it's transparency uh and fairness slash openness Mm. um you will see that they are very much related to 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 my personal values and i think as a business owner that is important like you cannot you can if you want to run a value-based business those values should be the ones that also speak to you but as a business the important thing i think about values in a business is exactly as you said saskia how do you implement them right mm, like yeah. the values that you define as a business i think in a sense need to be maybe a bit more concrete mm. than what you would have in your personal life so sustainability for example is one that is now really really core to us but that's also evolved over the years so 2016 to the end of 2019 was kind of like the baby and toddler phase of making stories you know just getting started with our work putting things out there seeing that people liked it making mistakes reducing the team getting back on our feet dissolving the business partnership And at the same time, I never really felt like we had those core values really nailed down and really in place. And then in 2019, in September, I had our little one, went on maternity leave for a couple of months. And oh my God, what wonders a few months away from the business can do. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, yeah but a lot of clarity even more Mm, so mm. I came back from maternity leave and I decided making stories is what I want to do I closed down the other two businesses Um, and then I said but making stories needs to be about sustainability I want making stories to be the number one brand thing place however Mm. you want to call it to go to yeah about all things sustainability in the knitting market. And that was so clear to me after those few months away. And so this value, why am I sharing that story? Because this value of sustainability that we had all along, all of a sudden just became so much clearer. And so I think if you are just starting out on your business journey and all of this feels a bit muddled and unclear and things, Mm. don't worry, it's going to come. It just takes time. Yes, it's going to crystallize into something that really connects with you and your customers. And I I do also believe that if you run your business this way, you are talking to people that are similar to you, that are in a similar way of looking at life. And so it will come more naturally than you think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So don't, don't worry too much about it, you say. Just, just one step at a time and you'll get there. Yes, I would say one step at a time, pick one value, something that really speaks to you and get started with this and think it through. What does that mean for Mm -hmm. your business? And you don't need to implement everything right away and you don't need to have all of the answers. Like we did a value exercise a month ago, like six weeks ago or so, and discovered a lot of things that we can do to be even more sustainable 
especially internally, right? So just take, take a value, maybe make a list of all of the things that you can do to sort of implement that and then just get started on some yeah. of that. And I also think rather live your values and crystallize it and then communicate them than the other way around, than just yeah. putting your values on your website and not actually living them quite yet, even though you have the best intentions. Because then you come in this area of, of kind of when, when it comes to sustainability, where it's almost like greenwashing, right? And you're saying all these buzzwords and then you kind of have to really live the thing as well. Yeah, so, but you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do everything perfect because most of us are just solopreneurs, right? And and that's how we start. And you kind of have to find ways to do things to make it sustainable for yourself and not burn out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I do think that that can feel overwhelming Mm. and hard as well because I kind of feel like especially in the last two to three years I would say the business culture I think has become colder more cutthroat mm. I think that I don't know I don't know about now but like half a year a year ago I had conversations with people who were like no I'm closing down my business in the fiber industry there was just too much cancel culture going on I'm just scared to putting things out there and like putting a foot wrong and then there's going to be a shit storm and I'm going to be put on a blackout list and all of the things business owners were really scared about this and I think this was a really sad and very hard place to be in for the entire community because at the end of the day we lost some really vibrant people who just left instead of having conversations talk about the hard things in ways that everyone could learn and there were definitely those happening as well there were definitely also you know cancel incidents and things that were i i i very personally think absolutely justified mm. But it's never good if you're operating a business out of fear. No, and I think no. that is something where you're now looking at this and you're thinking, oh my God, like I want to start a business in this space. Let's say I want to become a knitwear designer, but I don't have the resources to be size inclusive. I don't have the resources to knit a few samples and photograph it on different body types with different skin tones and with different gender identities. Mm. I also don't have the time or the resources to make it fully accessible. And if I don't put it out like that, it's not perfect. Mm. And people will think I don't care about those things. This is not true, no. but there's just the reality of all of those things cost money mm. that's conflicting with this desire to do all of those things justice. Yeah. That's exactly why I believe in community, where you have a space with people where you can really talk about these things on a deeper level and open up and feel safe and figure these things out and, and learn from each other. And in the specific community that I'm trying to build, I want to have a space for the makers and the sellers and have them have a conversation about these things like size inclusivity mm. and stuff, and they can help each other evolve and grow and, and use each other's knowledge to do that 
sometimes it's not as expensive as you think. I mean, a membership is, there is a certain amount of money connected to that. But, yes, um, and you should get paid for it. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, I think in community is just a deeper level. It's so much different from social media where you send out information and react to the information. The actual conversation happens in community. People, if you are interested, Priya Parker has written a book. It's called The Art of Gathering. So if you are interested in bringing people together for building something or with a specific purpose, that's a great book to read. And um, yeah, I think we should come together more, like really together and not like ricochet off of social media. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's a deeper level to to talk about these things, to share our experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And that book definitely goes on my reading list, The Art yeah. of Gathering. You'll love okay. it. You'll love it. I do think that unfortunately, social media, especially Instagram, has evolved with the algorithm changes to a place where those conversations and that community is not as easy to create or connect with as it used to be unfortunately mm. it used to be a place where we could do this yeah but it's not anymore it's yeah. sad at the same time it opens up spaces for amazing things like your community yeah yeah for me personally I think community in general like smaller in your hometown in your street even there's so much value there I think we should all go back to sharing each other's tools and, and doing stuff like that. But yeah, I think we can do that online and we can still make great connections. Like you started off with saying that you made your friends on Instagram mm -hmm. at the beginning. I was a little earlier, so I did the same thing through blogs and I made friends for life that way. But I just don't think that's the vibe anymore. And there's just too much there right now. I think we really need values and connections to kind of move on. So when we're talking about community and bringing people together, and especially what we're talking about small businesses, I was also curious to ask you a little bit more about the business that you're not doing anymore, the business coaching, because a lot of small businesses, as we said, start from a hobby and then they kind of frantically start working in their business instead of on their business because that's all they know so they come into their workspace whatever it is a shop or a dying studio and they're like oh my god it's such a mess I have to clean this up or oh my god I have so many emails I have to do that and they kind of lack strategy or extra information about how to make their business grow and that's something I have actually in front of me a reminder to advance and not just sustain. So every day, how do I advance my business instead of just being here? With a business coach, that's a way that you can do that and explore that. That's what I needed a couple of years ago, but was way too expensive for me as I thought as a business owner. I didn't want to use the not so much money that I have into putting it into a business coach. I really think that is definitely worth sending your money to. But what was your experience in that? Did you have like low rates or how mm. did that work for you? Yeah, before I answer that, I started working with a fantastic business coach almost to the day exactly a year ago, who is very expensive. It was a gift from my private life to my business life thankfully sponsored by my 
partner. <laughs> it's a wonderful gift. It's also a huge privilege to have a partner who can pay for something like mm-hmm. that and who also understands. Okay. It was amazing. Like it, and it still is amazing. And every single cent is worth it because the growth that I've seen, yes, in the numbers, but more the growth of me as a business owner, mm-hmm. the way that I think about making stories, the way that I can strategize for making stories, the way that I can plan, how much I can get done. It's absolutely magnificent. And I okay. could have never done that without someone who sat me down and be like, okay, Hananisa, cut the bullshit. You, like, mm. what is really going on? And like, that's the way that my business coach is. Like someone who also it. just tells you the hard truth. Mm. And so I 100% agree that a business coach is worth every single cent. I also understand sometimes it's just not financially possible. And that's yeah. kind of where we come back to, to your actual question. Yeah. How did I do that? I'm going to start with the end because I also closed the business down because it wasn't financially sustainable anymore. Mm. Group Thank of you business- for being so honest. This is really helping people. I mean, this is exactly what I wanted from this podcast. So thank you so mm. much. I just wanted to say that. You're so welcome. The brutal truth is that the group of business owners that I was targeting, so small business owners in the fiber industry, for the most part, don't have the resources for a business coach. Let me just step right in here and take the opportunity to talk a little bit about the Building Better Business Circle. In the online community, I offer a specific special spot for entrepreneurs and small businesses like you. Creative business owners that usually do everything themselves. And it's such a hard work and I know what it's like. I always wanted a business coach to show me where to go after this and and how I could grow my business and not just keep it going. To me, that was, I felt like that was way too expensive. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel like I wanted to talk to a business coach that was wearing a suit. And I couldn't find anybody that was a good match for me, basically. So what I did once I had the online community going, I just basically started something that I would have wanted myself So we are the business circle, and that means that I basically guide, teach a little, coach a little in the specific areas that small businesses need help with. So that would typically be planning, strategy, websites building, or the way your website can look and how it can convert more, marketing branding, all these kinds of things where you feel like I know a little, but I should know more. And I wasn't trained to do this. And now I kind of want to grow my business and I don't have the information, but I also don't have the time and I also don't have the money. So enter the BBBC where we typically work around an hour a week, maybe a little bit more to get these things done, to get a step-by-step process of actually implementing the things we talk about. This way you spend not a lot of time, but you take a lot of action. You're in a group with peers, with people that are like-minded, and it is fun as well as it really gets you somewhere. 
if you're there, you're paying for it. So you don't want to waste that money. You want to really get going. That's how it works. So I am excited because I get to be paid for the thing I love doing most, connecting people and sharing what I know. And then uh, everything comes together. It's an amazing space and lovely people. And um, if you want to know more, just send me an email and I'll happily give you all the information that you need or even connect you with one of the business owners that are in the community so they can tell you what it's like. Uh, you are so welcome to join us. If you want the information, go to asmallerlife.com and you'll find everything you need. Small business owners in the fiber industry for the most part, don't have the resources for a business coach. And that is okay. Like mm. a one-on-one -on -one business coach is hopefully an investment that pays off, but it is an upfront investment. If that investment costs you 500, a thousand bucks a month, that's the rate that we're talking about. Yeah. That just doesn't work. And so at the end of the day, for me, I tried very hard to make it work, not just on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but also introduce group coachings, things like that, introduce classes. But my strength was always the one-on-one. -on -one. It's always the individual work. And so I just really struggled finding ways to make like group coachings work. I th it was not thought through in a broader picture kind of way. Like when I'm looking at what you're doing now, Saskia, like what I see from the outside is like, this is thought through and at its core is community, mm -hmm. right? That is the core. And out of yes. that, everything else branches. For me, it was the other way around. It was like the one-on-one -on -one stuff that I was doing. And then how can I do it into group things? Can I create a community? Do I want to manage a community mm -hmm. yeah. and the answer to that was also no um yep. that's that's just not something that speaks to me right. and I think it is really important work but while I love the one-on-one -on -one business coaching it just wasn't sustainable for no, me anymore no. and even if it is financially having to talk to so many people to get to a certain income is a lot of draining, draining work. So yes. you'd have to have a really high rate to make it sustainable for yourself. Yeah. Um, it's, just a, it's a kind of a, a hard business model in itself. I think so too. When we're talking about sustainability, there's also, I'm going to call it energy sustainability. I am an introvert at heart. I love sitting at home, knitting, not talking to people. <laughs> I have this wide grin on my face. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Um, and so I, while, you know, I loved the one-on-one -on -one calls, they completely depleted my energy, mm. completely and utterly. It's like, I'm just thinking back about the last time that the two of us actually saw each other in person, which was mm -hmm. the last Edinburgh Yarn Festival three Yay. years ago. EYF, Yeah. <laughs> And I think everyone who's, who's ever been to a yarn festival can relate. After that, you're done. You're, you're like, done. I'm just going you're to done. be a veggie. Yeah. Like, you're just yeah. like, there's no, right? Yes. This is how it is for introverts like me. 
to have long conversations mm -hmm. with people. They are extremely exciting while you're in it, you're energized, mm -hmm. but then afterwards the energy is depleted. Yeah. And if you run a business coach model, that's just really hard to work with mm -hmm. because that just means there's less hours that you can work with unless you want to work yourself into the ground, which I didn't want to do. And so yeah. someone like my business coach that I work with now, for example, she's a complete extrovert. She's like, I get so much energy from the conversations that I have with you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to lie on the couch after this. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can relate to that so much. And it sounds weird because I'm kind of doing that work, but I've set it up in a way that's manageable for me. What I do is I have a Zoom call every other week and the other week they have the same Zoom call, but just without me. So they connect with them, with the group and I'm the guide, but I also offer content. I'm kind of a teacher in a way. It's like a coach, guide, teacher. I'm not sure what to call myself yet, but I give them step-by-step -step processes for doing things and leveling up in a way that is doable in like an hour day or even half an hour day and then really just start growing your business a little bit and I can do that because it's a community they help each other and I just I give them the place the space and the ways they can connect that really works I mean it's still a small group right now I'm growing it and I'm having lots of plans for it but I think it's a way that certainly works for me it definitely works for them they're very excited and uh, if it might be something you like go to a smallerlife.com <laughs> It's, it's amazing. I mean, I can't believe we've already talked for an hour, but I have some questions. I some, have some questions left for you that I really cannot leave without asking them. So you, you said a little bit about this, but what really lights you up? What kind of thing in your business is the thing that you go, that's why I'm in it. Just even a practical thing. It doesn't have to be super value-based, just Oh my God, can I say several things? I have the worst. Okay, the first thing is packing up orders. That's hilarious. <laughs> You're so brainy and this is your first answer. I know, but I think it is exactly because I'm so brainy. Yeah. We have the publishing side where we publish the biannual knitting magazine. And then mm -hmm. since about a year, uh, we also sell a curated selection of sustainably produced yarns. And they're all sitting in what I lovingly call the yarn cave, 10 minutes from my house. I have a small storage space and that's where I go to pack up the orders. And I just enjoy this so much because I love the yarns. Like I just love like taking out the skeins from their little boxes and then packing everything up because I'm just so in love with doing this work of curating the yarn selection for people. Yeah. So that's just something that, that really lights me up. The, the other thing is just that I get to do this work. There's this quote and I'm gonna misremember it, but it's something about, remember that this is what you dreamed of or something like that. So often business owner life can just feel incredibly hard. And I've gotten a lot better at dealing with the things that, you know, life just throws at you. Like there's like things that three, four years ago would have brought me to tears. I'm like, okay, whatever, yeah. we'll deal with it. Right? Yeah. yeah, it can feel really hard sometimes, but then there are also these instances where things just, they just click, like they fall into place. 
and everything just feels smooth for like three seconds. Yes. So I just really enjoy the these. Three seconds sore. Yep. You're like, yay, I got this. Oh no, I don't. <laughs> For me, that's it, the problem solving part is what I love doing. Like I have an issue. How do I fix it? And what do you actually really do not like or maybe have outsourced as soon as you could? I don't even like calling myself a boss, but I am because mm. I have people who work for me. I don't like having hard feedback conversations, to be very honest. I am trying to be very human oriented And that often gets in the way of actually giving people the feedback that they need in order to do their work better. Yeah. Um, and I have a hard time having those conversations. Like I'm not talking about, I don't know, like firing conversations or something. Not, not that at all, but just, just yeah. harder conversations where I need to tell someone like, look, this was not good or this was yeah. not good. Yeah. Um, in terms of other things that I don't like or didn't like that I've outsourced. So I did an extremely valuable exercise about half a year ago with my business coach that's called an accountability chart. We basically sat down and wrote down all of the roles or all of the things basically that we were doing in the business. So things like layout of the magazine, photography of the magazine, setting up the website listings, purchasing yarns, doing social media, like on that kind of level and then put them into buckets of roles. And then I looked at this and put names behind the things like 90% of the boxes was my name. And then she asked me the question like, okay, so what do you really hate? What do you, what do you hate? And I was like, I hate managing the test nets. <laughs> and this is not because I hate the test netting process. I don't mind the work itself at all like the interacting with people the answering questions figuring out the problems with the patterns but what really didn't work for me was that it was reactive work I was not in control of how I would spend my day because yeah. I would always have to react to someone else's timeline and that just doesn't work oh, for I my life that. right I now see that that's so valuable to be able to figure that out yeah and I yeah. I, I like the, it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, oh, okay. And so, so at the end, um, I hired our tech editor for also to also become our testing knitting manager, Jess, mm -hmm. and she's amazing. And she's doing a much, much better job than I ever did yeah. because also This is her core task. Yeah. Where for me, it was like one on a list of a million tasks. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so she can obviously do everyone a lot more justice mm. than, than I ever could. This can actually really pack this whole coaching topic together quite nicely because you were a business coach. You have your own business coach, which some people might think of, huh? How, how does that work? I'm also actually looking to get a little bit of coaching as well. Because we all have our own talents, but we also have our own things that kind of need work. Lots of things that you were saying, I really had a, some really bad conversations with people I worked with that could have 
done could I I could have done a lot better let's leave it there and there's so much to them but we have all these different things that we need to be able to do as business owners so to have somebody to to give you a little bit more insight in strategy in where to start first and to really work on who you are and what you need and and have that space for yourself is so valuable I think in the end all we really need to do is just stretch your arm down one step of the ladder and pull the the person below you up and that's how it really can really work to make things a little bit better so thank you so much for everything i just want to give you like a few minutes of advertising time for your latest project because we obviously talked about it a lot but not into detail and i'm really curious about the latest thing that you've been doing Ooh, oh, that's great. Okay, so this will go live. It's June, uh, which is summertime for everyone who lives like us in the Northern Hemisphere. So our current project that we have going on is uh, talking about all things summer knitting, essentially. We were super fortunate to get our hands on a really small amount of amazing linen yarn. So all of the yarns that we have, as I said, they're sustainably produced. You can read more about that on the website. That's makingminusstories.com. We got some really beautiful linen yarn by a French company called Derrerum Natura. They make stunning sport weight yarn that's called Antigone that flew off our shelves in two days. It was all gone. And unfortunately, we cannot get anything back because the flax harvest in France last year was so, so low that they had super limited quantities available. And this is so funny because for all the fellow business owners out there, you can probably appreciate, you know, you plan something, you know, like we had planned this entire month as a celebration of this yarn and, you know, all of these beautiful pattern suggestions. And then it flies off the shelves in two days. And then other times you launch something and you're like, oh yeah, I don't, you know, need to plan out a lot because this is going to sell out immediately. And it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, just a little, just a little side note. So um, we're now shifting gears and are already starting to prep our fall season because I mean, you turn around once and it's going to be September and September 1st is our traditional release date for our fall and winter issue so issue I cannot believe this issue eight is coming out issue eight I am starting to work on double digit issues issue 10 is coming out (laughs) next one what but don't so, forget to celebrate. You are going yeah, that's to celebrate, true. right? Yeah, yeah. I always, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Promise. on the launch day, I've gotten a lot better at celebrating those things. Oh, so good. issue eight is coming out on September 1st. Um, the theme for issue eight is campfire and it's 13 beautiful patterns all centered around things that you might need or want when you're out, you know, um, hiking in the forest, but also just for everyday adventures I like calling them like it's stuff that I would wear to the playground and things like that so that's coming out on September 1st and around that launch we'll also start adding the new yarns for the patterns that we have in issue A to the web shop we have a fun program for our magazine subscribers where they actually get to vote on the yarns that we add to the web shop I've actually sent out the email like before we started our conversation 
So it's, oh. it's all now gearing up. Oh, that's super nice. A very exciting process, I think. Like two waves in the year where you like gear up and then slow down a little bit and then gear up again. Um, how do people find you? So if they want to get that email, not this one, this one has been sent, but uh, so how do people connect to you? Where, where can they find you and everything you do, making stories, where is the shop? Tell us all yeah. about it. So the first place for you to go to is makingminusstories.com. Uh, that's our website there you can find the shop, the magazine, everything that we sell. And also the blog content that we put out we talk a lot on the blog about how to make your knits fit yourself, because I think the most sustainable thing that you can do is knit something that you then wear for 15 years to come. Here, here. <laughs> but in order to do that, you need to make it fit yourself. Yes. And so we talk a lot about that on the blog. And that's also something that you can find on the website. And then there's a little pop-up. Or if you scroll down to the footer of the website, there's a little email sign up. And I can only encourage you to sign up for our weekly newsletter. We send out an email every Tuesday. It's not sales focused. Like, yes, we will talk about products, but mostly it's really about knitting tips, projects that we're working on. So that's the second place. The third one is Instagram. That's our main social media platform. We're underscore making stories on there. And then the fourth one, we have a YouTube channel where you, when you go to YouTube and you just search for making stories, it'll come up and we publish every other week a new video on there. And when I say we, I mean myself and my wonderful colleague, Claire, we are basically doing what we're doing now, Sastia, you and I. So we're That's chatting so cool. and mostly chatting about knitting and about what's on our needles and just put that out for people to enjoy that's where you can find us. That's great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Hanalisa. This was full packed of great tips for entrepreneurs, but also just a great and honest and transparent view into what it's like to own your business and also generally a, a business in our field. So thank you so much. And um, we have to do this again. Oh, I would absolutely love to. This was such a delight. Thank you so much for having me. I have no idea how the time flew by. It was great. Thank it you. was wonderful. Thank you so much, Saskia. Thank you so much for listening. This was amazing. Hanalisa is the best, isn't she? You can go to asmalalife.com and find all the information in the show notes any links we might have been talking about, any names, you can find it there. I would love it if you would leave a message and uh, tell me what you thought, or if you have any questions, anything goes, just click the button and leave a voice message. And also go over to the website and subscribe to our newsletter. There's different newsletters. There's the Bellwether. That's a bi-weekly email where I share everything that's typically not saily, but that gives you a lot of information and inspiration, hopefully. And we also have an email list where you get notified every time a new episode drops. And obviously, don't forget to like and subscribe and do all of those things. Just wherever you're listening right now, there's probably three dots or something you can click and stars you can give. But the best thing, the best, best thing is just take, what would it take? A minute 
and just tell the app what you think about this podcast. And be honest, if you don't like it, write it down, just don't press enter. Supporting the podcast doesn't have to cost anything except for maybe a second or a minute of your time. And if you do want to support financially, please go to patreon.com slash a smaller life and or become a member of our community. We would be so happy to welcome you in any of those places. Thanks for listening.